His name is Tommy Nolan. He has been in marketing for over 25 years, having started in the world's largest independent marketing agency. Whatever he touches turns into pure gold. Not only has he revolutionized campaigns, he has even created some sorts of marketing as a concept. And on top of everything, he is incredibly humble. So this is evil crazy genius to be uncovered. I'm very curious, over over 25 years in business of marketing, advertising and media, what are your favorite stories that happened to you and in the industry? Um, I think that uh, I would say, you know, over 25 years in the business, uh, there's certainly um, a number of stories that that always I will remember, all experiences that I will remember. Um, but I would say one experience, and, and you know, this experience probably took place over about nine months, uh, was an experience that I had uh, when I was running an office for one of the um, you know, top five holding companies uh, in the world. And uh, we were working with one of the major credit card companies in the world. And um, really the story of, of, of this campaign is that, uh, first off, Puerto Rico is a, a, an island that is, um, I would say, a marketer's dream. Um, Ooh, uh, why? Puerto Rican people are um, heavy, just heavy, heavy consumers of, of goods and products. Um, I think the, the, the story at the time that I was living there, the fact or the stat at the time that I was living there was that the average Puerto Rican spent $2 for every $1 that they earned. So obviously working with a credit card company, you could see um, their desire to be in that marketplace. Um, at the time, and I remember doing the research on this, uh, there's a, the largest mall in Puerto Rico is a, uh, a mall called Plaza Las Americas. And it's a huge, you know, indoor mall. Um, and at the time, their revenue per square foot in the mall was about $1,200 per square foot. Um, mm -hmm. That compared with the average mall in the mainland United States, which was $400 per square foot. So you can see the amount of, uh, you know, money that people spent there. Um, and so it was just kind of a marketer's dream. And so the background of this campaign is this was a global credit card company. Um, they had done a similar campaign um, throughout Latin America and had a lot of research that said um, prominently featuring the card uh, would, it creates um, greater awareness and affinity and ultimately usage of the card. And, and they, had, they had had this happen or they had run this in a number of other Latin American countries. I think they had done it in Mexico and had extreme success. They had done it in Chile and had extreme success. Um, but kind of the key with this was not just featuring the card, but featuring it in new locations, um, thing, places where advertising had never existed before. So that was kind of the whole um, challenge, if you will, uh, of this project. So we had a major credit card company. We had a market that was <clears throat> extremely uh, fertile, if you will, for an open to a, a credit card message. Um, and we had research that said, 
hey, putting the card and featuring it in new and unique locations um, could really drive business results. So with that, um, we spent about nine months, uh, I would say, me and my team, um, but I also had, and I have to mention these guys, uh, three guys that were by my side throughout this process. And they were- The three uh, musketeers. <laughs> yeah, well, they were they were pivotal, as you'll hear in, in the story, to, to mm-hmm. making this happen. And they all worked for different out-of-home companies. So I had, had, had one, uh, one uh, friend, colleague, uh, a guy by the name of Nick Van Slyke, who uh, was instrumental, another guy- named Barry Kula, who was uh, very instrumental. And then another uh, gentleman by the name of uh, Salim Merheb, who we used to refer to as the Prince of Darkness, who is very instrumental in helping us. Uh, Why? You know, pull Prince this of off. Darkness? Why? What yeah. did he do? <laughs> you know, Salim was a guy who, if you needed to get something done, he'd figure out a way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, he, he, he had connections. He was, he was a local um, and you know, when things seemed impossible, he was a guy that would, would help you figure it out. So, um, you know, over the course of the nine months, we probably built, I would say 10 to 15 locations that, um, out of home locations that never existed. Um, but there, there's, a, there's three locations in particular, um, which I, I, I would say the stories behind are pretty, um, interesting, uh, in some cases genius, uh, and in some cases just absolutely crazy bananas, whatever you want to say. Um, and to uh, clarify, what do you mean by locations? Location. So, um, in the out of home business, right. Uh, Uh you're, you're really looking for, um, where to place, if you will, a billboard, um, an ad. And so, uh, you know, the kind of the typical model for um, out of home is you have a location, right? You really need three things to have, if you will, a, a billboard or a location. You first and foremost, you usually need to find a place, right? And usually that takes place on some land, on some real estate, on a building, and you have to negotiate what they call a land lease, right? With the owner of that land or the owner of that building. Second thing that you um, usually need to have and was required in Puerto Rico is a permit. So a government permit that would uh, permit you um, to to build a structure there and have advertising there. And then obviously the last thing you need is a structure. So what are you actually putting up, um, uh, you know, and in order to place a message on. So when I talk about locations, we were basically going out, finding locations that didn't have advertising, didn't have structure. There was nothing pre-existing there. There were no permits. There was no land leases. There was no structures. So we were literally building things from the ground up. Um, So that's, that's what I mean by location. So over the course of the nine months, we, we built out um, and kind of went through that process on about 10 to 15 locations and three of them, like I said, were uh, pretty crazy. Um, Tell me more. So the first location, um, this, there, there is a, I would say a, a, a suburb of San Juan 
which is kind of the, the hub of nightlife in, in, in Puerto Rico, a uh, place called Condado. It's right on the beach. It's a long stretch of beach, uh, gorgeous beaches, uh, lots of bars, lots of restaurants. So, you know, any given Friday night, you know, people are out and about. Obviously, you're, the weather is nice all year long. So people are walking the streets. You're going from bar to bar to restaurant. So just a real central location for um, social activity. Uh, and, you know, the interesting thing is, uh, you know, I had moved there in 2004 to run this office. And obviously, when you're not from a place, um, you don't know everything about it. You, you talk to people who are working for you and, and working with you and you ask them about things and sort of the purveying message that I had gotten from everyone was that, oh, you're not allowed to put up billboards in Condado. That's illegal. You can't, you can't advertise there. Um, and, you know, truth be told, when I was in Condado, you didn't see any billboards. You didn't see any advertising. So, you know, when we started thinking about, um, you know, locations, uh, I think sort of the initial thought of us was, well, as much as we'd love to have a, a billboard in Condado because that's where people are out spending money, it's, it's a perfect location, it's illegal. Well, you know, this is where I have to give credit to, uh, <clears throat> to Nick. Um, ah, I was expecting the Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness will play a role in this, but Nick, <laughs> first and foremost, Nick, um, Nick is actually uh, a trained attorney, or he has a law degree, I should say. Okay, Not an cool. Um, and, and we just decided we should check and see how the law is written, right, mm, about smart. Um, and we went and we started, you know, looking at the law, trying to, to find where it said, hey, outdoor advertising is banned in Condado. And the reality is there was no law in the books that said outdoor advertising was uh, illegal in Condado. So that was sort of the first little clue for us going, well, this is interesting. So there's nothing on the books that says it's illegal. Um, so then we started to dig a little bit more um, into, you know, everything. And, you know, again, nowhere could we find uh, anything that had said it was illegal. So kind of having that information, we said, well, let's start seeing if we can find a location. Um, and Nick actually happened to live in a high rise apartment building that I would almost say was at the nexus of, you know, at the center of Condado, a couple of roads converged, um, it overlooked the beach. Uh, and it was probably, if I had to guess, it was probably about a, a 15 story, uh, 10 to 15 story apartment building. And Nick was quite friendly with the owner of the building. And he went to the owner and said, Hey, I have an idea. Are you interested in making uh, extra monthly revenue on this property? Um, we'd love to put up a giant mesh billboard on the side. Um, and it's a side where, you know, it wouldn't actually obstruct any of the, of the uh, tenants views or anything like that. Um, and the owner was like, sure, I'm, I'm always up for making more money. So uh, he gladly went along with the idea. Um, so then the next little phase for us was, 
we went back and started kind of looking at um, some of the, the rules of outdoor advertising. And, you know, obviously we had to get a permit. That was, you know, we needed to get a permit for the government to say, yes, you can put up a billboard. We had already determined it wasn't illegal. Um, but we thought, okay, well, we're going to go get a permit and they're going to deny our permit. Yeah. So they're that, so it's not illegal. The permits are just being denied, which is why nobody has out of home. Well, um, one of the things that Nick knew from a lot of his work on the Island was that the, the, the way the, the ruling read was that as long as you had applied for a permit, you were allowed to put up a structure. Preemptively. Yes. So, so, and the other great piece of information here was that we knew that the government agency responsible for, you know, approving or denying permits was about a year and a half behind um, in their approval process. So we sat there and thought, <laughs> well, all we have to do is apply for a permit. We know it's going to be a year to a year and a half before they even get to our permit. So we could get a structure up because as long as we've applied for a permit, we can put a structure up. We can have this advertiser up there probably at least for a year before we're told, hey, you know, you can no longer have this or it's illegal um, before our permit even starts to get processed. So, you know, talking about kind of the genius, that was that was a real kind of, um, I'll say, really pivotal moment for us in kind of understanding the ecosystem, understanding kind of the timing of as long as you apply, you can build a structure and knowing that they were behind in their approval process. We knew we at least had a year. How did <clears> so, you know that they were behind? Well, because Nick had actually been doing a lot of work on the island, uh, yeah. uh, building other structures and, you know, he had been applying for permits and it's like, you know, every, every month I check, I just get told, yeah, <laughs> still not there yet. So he, he kind of knew that the, that the, the process was very, very delayed. So we now had a location. We had somebody who was willing to, um, you know, allow us to put up a structure. We had, uh, you know, we knew that as long as we applied for a permit, you know, that was fine. So the next, the next phase was obviously I needed to go sell this into the client. So I flew to Miami. I brought pictures of the location. We talked about pricing. Um, client was like, I love it. Do it. Let's do it. I can't believe we're going to be the only people in <laughs> auto. This is great. You know, we love the location. Excellent. Get back on the plane, you know, head back to Puerto Rico and we're all systems go, right? We are got a creative going. We've identified the month that we're going to get this up. And we were probably about a week, a week and a half out from putting everything up, which means we've already started printing banners. You know, we've, we're already arranging for, you know, the structure to get put up. And my friend Nick calls me and he goes, we have a problem. <clears throat> and I said, well, oh, no. dun, 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 dun. Well, um, the landlord came to me, right? The owner of the uh, building. He got cold feet. No, at the bottom of the building, there was a bank. And uh -huh. he said, you know, I feel like I need to give the bank the first right of refusal. If I'm going to put up a billboard here, I need to give them the opportunity to buy the billboard first, which obviously is a problem because I already sold this in to my client. So, you know, it's 
probably nine o'clock at night and I'm like, just get this pit in my stomach. And um, fortunately for me, uh, uh, the, the bank um, that he was going to offer the billboard to, um, despite the fact that I already had approval from my client, um, was actually business was being handled out of an agency where I knew the owner. Um, and in fact, the Mm -hmm. owner and I were, you know, I would say pretty good friends. He was a, he was a good mentor for me in the marketplace. We'd have breakfast every month. We just kind of talk about the marketplace. He, he'd give me, you know, some inside scoop on, on things that he knew being a local. And so I called this guy Julio up and I said, Julio, I have a major problem. And I explained it to him and I said, you know, you need to tell your client that this is a awful investment, you know, that this is not what they should be doing. And the reality is I believe that, right? When you have a storefront, you already have signage and a presence there. Why pay and not insignificant amount of money to have a billboard there? Seems like, as I would say, it's almost like wearing suspenders and a belt at the same time. It's, it's sort of unnecessary. Um, but so, they would be the only ones advertising in Caldado. 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 So, um, yeah. so I called Julio up. Julio said, not a problem. I, I, you know, I'll help you out. He knew my situation. Um, so for about three days, I literally was sitting on pins and needles. Nick and I were like, what's going on with this? I hadn't said anything to the client that we may be in jeopardy of losing. Yeah. They were completely excited about it. And, um, and I got a phone call from Julio. He said, you're all set. I, I recommended it against it. Green light go. So we were back on great. So, uh, so now it gets down to execution, right? We've got to install the structure and put the billboard up and we're good to go. So the day of our installation, this is where you know, Salim, the Prince of Darkness, uh, you know, we, we, we call Salim in and, you know, Salim's got the crew there. He arrives on his magical horse. <laughs> he's, got, he's got cranes, you know, Ooh. and, you okay, know, that's better thing, than a horse. We literally were stopping traffic, right? I mean, it was a, so we were kind of blocking off traffic. There were a few of us out there trying to direct traffic. He's got cranes going up, you know, he's got men up on these, you know, you know, in these baskets installing kind of the cabling for the, for the, uh, the, the mesh banner that was going to go up. And as we're doing this, all of a sudden police car rolls up, uh, you know, stops at the location and we're like, Oh boy, here we go. Right. Because again, the, the, the thought in Puerto Rico is that it's illegal yeah. to be advertising here. Right. And of course you're not going to want to get into the whole thing of we've looked at the law. We understand this. We've applied for a permit. So a police officer comes out and, you know, starts walking up to the site uh, and, you know, ask who's in charge here. And <laughs> everybody is like pointing fingers, not me. Yes. No, no. Oh, well, we, we pointed to Salim because Salim was local. We were not the, the prince local. of well, darkness. <laughs> well, go talk to him. <laughs> wouldn't you know it? Salim mm. knows the police officer because their two kids are in kindergarten together uh, Salim starts talking to the police officer. Next thing you know, the police officer has barricades being brought out. Him and a couple of guys are managing traffic for us. And 
we get, you know, the billboard. So, you know, that, that's sort of the first, um, of the three billboard stories, you know, when you think about kind of the, um, the intelligence to sort of not just take what people say is truth and, and mm-hmm. kind of verify for yourself. So we found out there's no law against this. It's not illegal. Um, then sort of the savviness to go, well, the rule says as long as you apply for a permit, you can put it up. And knowing that these guys were, um, you know, delayed in that process, you know, we, we, we talked to the client about this is a one-year campaign. So we had plenty of runway there, um, kind of avoiding the disaster of the landlord wanting to offer it to a tenant um, after we had already gotten approval. And then the final step of kind of getting it up uh, despite the police rolling in. Um, and them it, helping you eventually. And then, then turning it into them helping us. Pretty incredible story of yeah. uh, really, I would say, an unbelievable location um, uh, for, for this, this credit card company. So that was kind of the um, one of the, the three stories that really stood out to me in, in, in this whole you know, campaign that we, we worked on for nine months. Wow, that's so cool. Practically the lesson of the story is do not be afraid to tap into this like grayish area. I mean, it wasn't really grayish, but a lot of people perceived it to be grayish. Yeah, I think it's I think it's um uh, you know, it's amazing how um and and you see it today, right? You see it with social media. It's amazing how one person says something, everybody else just sort of, you know, takes it for truth. And then, you know, they, they just continue to kind of um, perpetuate that, that, that false information. Uh, and before you know it, it, it's basically believed by everyone. So I, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's do your own homework, think for yourself. Um, uh, and, and, Yeah, I think you're also right, though, kind of um, understanding your total situation, understanding what it is you need and being willing to, you know, take a risk. I mean, there was a huge risk for us, right, in in putting up that structure. And I don't know, I I mean, what if one day the our permit happened to get moved to the top of the stack and they denied it? Right. And, And we had talked to the client about that is a risk. Um, but we, we took a calculated risk and the client was involved in that calculated risk. They, they felt like the rule, the reward that they would get, um, and the publicity and, and everything from that would be worth the potential risk of our permit suddenly getting moved to the top of the stack and getting denied. So, um, I, I think you got to take calculated risk. I mean, this is a business where, um, you know, fortune favors the bold, right? So you have to um, be willing to push the envelope. You have to be willing to take some risk. Uh, and if you do that, you can get big rewards. Actually, have a little question about that. Um, have you ever taken um, the phenomenon of fake news to your own advantage? Uh, no, I don't believe I have. I think that... Um, I think that clients in this industry, um, you know, the, the, a big, very, very big um, 
concern today of marketers is what you would call brand safety, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Being associated with good content, um, not being associated with bad content. uh, And it's, 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 it's a problem, right? It really is a problem. Um, So I have never worked with a client, um, nor do I think I will, who will be willing to take that risk. I, I just think, you know, um, I can talk about some other experiences, right? You, you can deliver a hundred million really legitimate impressions in great content, in safe, um, in safe content. Um, and it takes one bad impression, one adjacency to, uh, you know, and I've seen it happen. One adjacency to a ISIS. Take the company term. down. And the next thing you know, nobody remembers the 99 million, you know, legitimate impressions that you you put out there. All they're talking about is the one impression that has been, um, you know, or the one adjacency next to, to negative content. So I think advertisers are really, really concerned about that. Um, and, and it's a, and it's a tough problem, um, for, for advertisers and agencies to manage. So I, I, I don't think that you would see anybody sort of taking advantage of false information. Hmm. I would see that. I'm really curious about the other two stories with the billboards. They sound fascinating. Yeah. Um, well, we had, um, another one of the boards that we created was, uh, it was very interesting. We found a mall that had a parking garage that was visible from the highway. And, um, we basically created a billboard there that was about 75 to hundred yards long and about 25 feet or so high. Um, oh. it was so large that we actually had to stitch together mesh, um, <laughs> mesh, banners because they didn't make spools of the mesh long enough. So we actually manually, uh, we didn't manually do it compute, you know, like Uh. machines did it, but they had to actually use and stitch together three of the spools of mesh. That's how big it was. But um, we, we put this billboard up and, you know, after lots of delays, we finally got it up. You know, we sent client the picture and they were like, oh, it's amazing. They're like, when you get a chance, send us night shots. And we were like, oh, no, we did not think about having lights on it Um, because it was a it was a brand new location. We created it. We were just worried about getting the structure up. We didn't have lights. So, um, you know, once again, we made a call to our 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 friend, Celine, the Prince of Darkness and said, Salim, can you please some light <laughs> to this billboard? Um, and, you know, of course, we had to figure out how to fund it. And, and Barry was really good in helping us kind of with some of the, the funding and, and getting that done. And so Salim uh, came out really, really quickly because, of course, we had to get shots to the client as soon as possible. And he installed lamps about every six feet. So you can imagine you know, a billboard this long, we probably had 15 to 20 huge lamps out lighting this thing. And, you know, we got it lit. It was great. We, we sent the shots off to the client. They're really happy. Um, and then about a month later, Barry calls me up and he says, we have a problem. I said, what do you mean we have a problem? He said, well, I just got a 
phone call from the mall and their management board and their electric bill was $10,000 higher this month <laughs> than it normally is. So obviously the only thing that had changed is we had put up all these lights on their property. So the electric bill was about $10,000 a month. Um, and of course, you know, I couldn't pass that along to the client. Uh, you know, again, we kind of negotiated with them all. We, we put some timers on so that the lighting wasn't up, but only if, you know, when it got dark and it went till maybe 12 o'clock at night and shut off, you know, but, uh, that was, uh, that was, uh, you know, I've never had somebody call me up and say that we increased their electric bill $10,000. So that was, that was an interesting one. You had to sell some kidneys. Oh God, man. Yeah, that was, that was, that was a little concerning. Um, the other one, uh, that, that I was, uh, that I was going to tell a story about was, um, so if you recall earlier, I talked about having a credit card, right? Having the card be visible, um, you know, and in unusual locations. So, uh, one of the things that we had done was negotiated with a mall to actually have credit cards hanging from the ceiling. And, you know, they were going to be angled at a nice kind of 45 degree angle. Um, you know, consumers would have a view of it as they were walking through the mall. So, um, spent a lot of time really, uh, you know, working on developing a card and it was about 50 pound structure, uh, worked with the installation company. We had to, you know, they had to come in in the middle of the night when the mall was closed, install it, put everything up. And so, you know, the morning, one night the cards were installed and the next morning, you know, I, I stopped by the mall before it opened and, and, you know, got entry because I needed to check those out. I needed to take pictures. I needed to send them to the clients. And, um, you know, when I got in, the cards were, they looked a little funny because they were angled. They weren't angled properly, right? They were a little too vertical. They weren't at 45 degree angle. I took some pictures and, um, you know, one of the guys that had been helping me work on it, Nick, I called him up. I said, Hey, can you meet me at the mall? We'll go there for lunch. Let's take a look at these cards. You know, they, they look a little off for me and I think we may have to ask the, the company to come back in and, and adjust them. Right. I can't send these pictures to the client, um, with it like this because it's not really how we designed it. So, um, you know, that, that afternoon I, drive to the mall. I meet Nick there for lunch. You know, he's like, Hey, meet me in the food court. We go in the food court and he's like, yeah, I went, I looked, he's like, I agree. They do kind of look funny. We had lunch. He's like, after lunch, we'll go, we'll go check them out and just let's talk about what we want to do and I'll get the company in and we'll adjust it. So we had lunch and then we, um, take off and we start walking to the first, where the first card was supposed to be located and there's no card anymore hanging from the ceiling. And I kind of looked at him and said, well, did you ask them to take it down? He's like, no, I didn't ask him to take it down. And then all of a sudden we look on the floor in the mall and there's a huge gash out of the ceramic floor. Um, and uh, essentially what happened was the 50 pound card fell about two stories in the middle of a crowded mall. Um, fortunately, uh, nobody, 
was standing under it. Nobody was what in. What a nightmare. Um, oh, my God. You know, it was, I mean, that was a situation where uh, we were very lucky. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we immediately, obviously, talked to the mall. I mean, they had already removed the card because clearly they had seen it fall or somebody had notified them. Um, and then, you know, obviously had the installation company come in later that night. Uh, there was uh, much more safety measures put in around that. But that's just one more of the insane stories about that campaign. And, um, you know, <laughs> you know, between, between uh, you know, that, between the $10,000 electric bill, um, there were just some crazy stories uh, around that campaign. Yeah, you went above and beyond to market that credit card company. <laughs> yeah, it, well, in the end, I mean, look, it was uh, it was very successful. Um, uh, and again, I, I if I had to uh, think back on um, on kind of what I left in in Puerto Rico, what my legacy was, you know, I saw I, I created um, I created. Uh, probably some of the the now most sought after and um, iconic out home locations there. So uh, while it was a challenge for nine months, um, I, I certainly look back on it uh, and, and and I'm proud of the work we did. And you know I think uh, we we um, helped that company tremendously. Um, uh, and you know I've got some some I I still to this day talk to uh, Barry and talk to Nick probably, you know, once or twice a year, um, if not more. Uh, Salim has kind of faded off into the darkness. Um, I'm sure he'll reemerge when we, when we need him at some point. But um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I've got some guys that I'm, I'm really connected with for life. And uh, we've got some amazing stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you, you, you can't be not connected to them after such adventures. You yeah, basically absolutely. went on crusades in order to market products. Yes, it was, uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely stories that we, we all laugh about and talk about um, quite a bit when we, when we reconnect. Lovely. Actually, another question. You started into the marketing world and advertising world and media world in the 90s. Yes, so I'm old. my question is, <laughs> no, my question is like, was it similar to the book of 99 francs? And like, were you the octave, octave? Um, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, I would say this, the, um, the industry has changed tremendously since mm -hmm. I started out. Um, I mean, in 1995, when I started out, I would say this, I, I started an agency in New York City at the time, it was the largest independent agency in the world. Um, wow. And I didn't have a computer and I didn't have email address. Okay. I had to go to a computer lab to do work at times. Mm -hmm. um, and it probably wasn't about, it probably wasn't until maybe 96, 97 that I actually got an email address. Um, at the time, nobody was, I mean, search didn't exist. Google didn't exist, right? So um, it, it, it is a it is an industry that um, is ever changing. Um, you know, I think 
in some cases it, it changes for the better. Uh, in some cases, I don't think it always does. Um, but, uh, you know, this is a business regardless of, of if you like the change or not. Um, change is necessary to stay relevant and, and keep up with consumers. And, uh, you know, you have to be willing to adapt and, and embrace uh, new technology, new ways of doing things. Um, you know, the, the, uh, there's, there's kind of a saying, which is, you know, what got you here won't get you there. Right. And, sure. and so it's, it's an industry that, you know, has evolved tremendously. Um, you know, again, for the better, for the most part, um, in my mind, uh, but it changes something that you have to embrace, um, without a doubt in this industry. What were the best practices of the, your starting years in comparison to the ones that you are applying now? Um, I think attention to detail. I, I started, um, started in a, in an era in this business, which was, I mean, I used to wear a suit every day to work. Um, that was required. Uh, I had a boss who was, um, extremely detail oriented. I remember, uh, and, and again, this is, I'm dating myself, but this is back when we used to write memos and you put them in an inter office envelope and you'd stick it in the mailbox and mail guys would come and they'd take it to the other floor to the person that you were going to deliver it to. And, um, I, uh, I remember working on a, really an analysis, um, for a client about something, uh, for about a week. And I remember before I was, you know, able to send it out, my boss had to, you know, have kind of one final look on it. And, uh, you know, it was a, unbelievable document. It was, I was really proud of it. I thought it was, you know, really well thought out. There's some interesting analysis in it. It was, you know, very well written. Um, and there was one thing that in his mind, you know, may have been stretching the truth, wasn't necessarily accurate. And, uh, you know, I'll always, I'll always remember, um, his message to me, which is, Tommy, it doesn't matter if 95% of it is right. What people will remember is the 5% that's wrong. Um, and it goes back to kind of the impressions that we were talking about, right? If you, you can associate yourself with 99% of the content is brand safe, but if you associate with that 1% that's wrong, that's what people remember. So, um, you know, I would say it, it's, you know, probably one of the uh, most important lessons is you've got to have attention to detail. And, you know, that people focus on what goes wrong. Um, they do mm -hmm. not always focus on what goes right. Uh, and so that, you know, I think it's something that always has to kind of stick in your mind, um, particularly when you're um, responsible for a brand, right? When you are responsible for how people perceive them, um, you have to make sure that You're, you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's, as we say. Was it that secret uh, secret component to bringing every single brand that you touched to incredible results? Was it just the attention to detail? Or was it? did you have some certain like method that you used or some kind um, of strategy? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it, 
I don't know that there is one thing that you could put your finger on. Um, mm. I think that, um, you know, every brand is different. Every campaign is different. Um, you know, a campaign, this, this, this campaign for the, the, the major credit card company, I'm not sure that today I would even consider some of the things that we did back then. Um, just because technology's changed, my ability to target people has changed. So I don't think that there's ever sort of one thing that you can put your finger on. Um, I, I guess if there was a, if, if I was forced to give you one thing, it is understanding the full situation, understanding the task at hand, understanding, you know, who your consumers are, um, understanding sort of the context of what's going on in the world and, and does that play into it? Um, it's really having a, uh, relevance. You're, 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 you're doing your homework for, for lack of a better term and making mm -hmm. sure that again, you're kind of looking at all the details, you're understanding all angles. Um, I think when people have a really good understanding of their consumer, a really good understanding of the, the, the business challenge and the brand, a really good understanding of all of their, you know, communication options out there, a good understanding of what kind of culturally is going on in the marketplace at the time. That's what leads to success. I think when people get squeezed on time, don't have, you know, uh, maybe the, the, the opportunity to do their due diligence on things. Um, that's when I think you, you kind of miss. Um, so I think it, it's really just being um, thorough in your work and, and paying attention to details and, you know, going back to, you know, putting up that billboard, it was paying attention to the details and understanding that there wasn't a law there and paying attention to the details and understanding that the, the board approving permits was behind a year and a half, right? So those details completely opened up that opportunity for us. Um, hmm. Paying attention to that opened up the opportunity for us. Because uh, if, if we weren't paying attention to those details, we never would have attempted to put that board up. So practically it's deep awareness. Yeah, I think you just have to be diligent, right? And anything you do in life, right? Uh, you know, uh, being knowledgeable, um, being passionate, uh, being detail-oriented, usually more often than not leads to success. Hmm. Not perfectionist, detail-oriented, which is a different uh, thing. I think perfection is something you should strive for, but I think it's, uh, you know, uh, very rarely attained. Hmm. True. So true. Tell me about your latest campaign. I'm really curious. Well, you had I, some incredible results though. Like how did you, how did you do that? What do you want me to, do you want me to tell you about that? The one of the other boards in that campaign? Is that, is that what you're referencing? One of the other. Yeah, I'm schools. referencing the Nissan campaign. Oh, Nissan. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I did, I did a lot of work with Nissan over the last, um, few years. Um, yeah. no, I don't want to say it's a, a specific campaign. Um, I think we did a lot to, um, evolve, uh, you know, how they were approaching marketing, um, mm. being more, 
uh, rigorous with their data, um, trying to be a little bit more consistent um, in their communication and, and with consumers, um, kind of understanding the different phases of the purchase journey. Um, I think, you know, that's, that's, that's another thing that I'll just kind of say about advertising in general, right? Everybody, especially in society today, right? You want, you know, immediate results and, you know, yeah. if you think a billionaire about, tomorrow, <laughs> right, right. Um, if, and if you think about, um, great advertising and great marketing, what that does is actually, um, it changes consumers perceptions and thoughts and how they think they, how they value your brand over time. Um, and it makes them, if you do your job, right, it makes them very loyal to your product, to your brand. Um, it, it keeps them coming back, uh, time and time again, uh, repeat purchase, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and that's, that doesn't happen with somebody being exposed to a single message or um, somebody, you know, uh, seeing uh, an ad a few times. Um, there, there are, you know, it's, it's what I say to clients, right? It's, yeah, you need to focus on sales today, but you also have to focus on brand over time. Um, and, and it's the combination of those two things uh, when, when marketers get that right, um, they're very successful. Uh, I think when people get impatient and focus just on sales today, uh, they tend to do things like discount products. Um, they can oftentimes be found annoying by consumers because they're beating them over the head, you know, and, and you know, if a consumer's not ready to buy, they're they're not going to buy. You can try yeah, to the frequency rate over thirty. Yeah. <laughs> ad so, um, per person. Yeah. So I think you know, in terms of the the work I did with them, uh, I, I just think it was an evolution of how they were marketing and 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 kind of modernizing them a bit. Um, you know, I can't say that it was a single thing. Um, it was a culmination of actions, and and again, that's what marketing is, right? Uh, marketing is a, a, I kind of say it's an ecosystem of experiences and, and, and messages that are being delivered. You're not influenced by a single banner ad, right. Or a single TV commercial, um, or, you know, seeing a, a billboard somewhere, um, you get influenced over, over time based on all those interactions. You know, maybe you like an ad, maybe somebody delivers a, a timely offer to you. Um, maybe, you know, take a Starbucks, maybe you go in there and you have a really good experience and you enjoy your cup of coffee and you like the atmosphere. Um, you know, maybe somebody that you look up to or you're, you know, uh, you admire, you know, you see them drinking Starbucks, all of these things influence how you think about a brand. It's not just you seeing a logo or an ad um, that does that. Hmm. So basically the formula to consumer love and loyalty is not, it's, it's like omnipresence, I guess. Uh, it would be what we call in the media business continuity. Yeah. Mm. Having continuity, um, being there. Um, I, I don't want to say always on, right. But being there 
uh, hey, the best, the best way to say it is maybe being like a friend, right? A friend is always there for you. Um, they may not be in the same room as you, but you know, they're always somebody that you can reach out to. They always seem to call you at the right time. Maybe if you're (laughs) down or they're there to celebrate something with you, you know, brands need to sort of think of their customers as, as friends. And how are you there? How do you always have a presence? You know, you know, sometimes it's just about being there. Sometimes it's saying something specific. Sometimes it's just about being part of the experience. Um, but ultimately, you know, that, that's kind of the having continuity in, in, in advertising is really important for most brands. It's, it's not, you know, the, the formula for all brands or things that are seasonal, right? I'll take suntan lotion. You don't want to yeah. exercising suntan lotion in the middle of winter. Um, but but actually, maybe you should because it, it provides you. Maybe you should. You, you already know that, judging by your skin. But um, it gives like you have pressure. to wear. Huh? That's high blood pressure. That's not a tan. <laughs> no, 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 no. But like, if you wear sunscreen every day, then like your skin ages less. Sure. Regardless. Sure. So yeah. hmm. that's uh, true. So um, you know, I go continuity is a is a I think a often underappreciated in our business. Um, Mm -hmm. So always being there is, uh, is extremely important. Hmm. Tell me a story that you feel like it was the most, like, how can I put it? The the most unexpected result you've gotten, maybe the most daredevil you have been with marketing or advertising. And then you've gotten a very strange or great or just plain unexpected results. Have you had a story like that? Um, early on in my career, um, I had the opportunity to start up a youth and entertainment agency that my, actually my current partner in my consulting firm, Barb Martina was the, uh, was the CEO of. And, Um, we were working with a client, Konami, um, video game client. Uh, in fact, they were the first video game client to ever, um, launch a game and hit a million units. And this was back in the late nineties, um, which day, if you don't do 25 million units in the first day, your game's a failure. But at the time they launched the first game that was, uh, um, hit a million units, but we, uh, did something back then that um, at the time we didn't think much of it, um, but I would say we kind of pioneered something in the industry. Um, Konami was launching um, a game called ISS 99, International Superstar Soccer. It was a Mm -hmm. soccer video game. Um, It featured uh, or was you know, the, the spokesperson, if you will, the featured player on the front was a guy by the name of Carlos Valderrama, who was a a Colombian soccer player, was well known for his hair. He had a, a massive, you know, uh, Afro blonde that just stood out on the field and was a master with, with the, the soccer ball. Um, and at the time, you know, we were, we didn't have big budgets for the game. And we were uh, trying to figure out how we could uh, 
you know, maybe get some help, expand uh, our promotion of it. And at the time, we also had another client in our agency um, company that very well known, Reebok. Uh, They were with our sister agency. And at the time, they were launching a new soccer shoe. So we started talking, we started talking with our clients and um, the Konami client in particular. And one of the things at the time when in 1999, video games were not necessarily, they, they, they weren't as real as they are today. The graphics weren't as good, um, et cetera. But, but one of the things that they did was they kind of wasted space. So in their video game, they had, you know, the dasher boards around the outside of the field, as you would in any kind of soccer stadium. Um, and all they would do is put Konami on them, right? So they basically were just advertising their own brand on the dasher boards in the game. And, you know, we started having a conversation with them saying, hey, this isn't really realistic, you know, if you're thinking about trying to make the game more real, feeling like it's a real soccer game, real soccer stadium. And we said, we have this client who's launching a soccer shoe. Wouldn't it be great if they were advertising their soccer shoe? So we went to to Reebok. We talked to them. We said, hey, we've got a great idea. We'd love to put you in this soccer game. You can be promoting your shoe. Um, In the end, they ended up having a lot of media in kind of local soccer newspapers. uh, And they said, we'd love to, you know, do that. We'll exchange give you some of our media in return for this presence in the game. We created a Reebok halftime report. Um, and then we actually brought in another um, company, Eurosport, which is a well-known kind of soccer apparel and equipment company, uh, brought them in and said, hey, we'd love to include you in this so that it's, you know, also has Eurosport involved. And what Eurosport did was uh, agreed to actually sell the video game through their catalogs. Um, what Reebok did was also in their shoe boxes, they actually put a, a, a booklet about the soccer game. And uh, it became a real interesting partnership between three companies where no money exchanged hands. Um, we all got uh, incremental value. Um, and, you know, if I look at it today, it, it is probably. Uh, it, it was, it was a really um, interesting, well thought out, uh, made sense, and and really, I I kind of say started, um, if you will, what is known as kind of in game advertising today. Uh, you you don't see a video game today that doesn't have you know yeah. advertisers in there, product promotion doesn't have realism. Um, and you know, at the time we didn't think much of it, uh, but you know, looking back on it, I, I think it was a kind of a, a really cool thing that we did and, and, you know, we could sort of be looked at as pioneers. The revolutionaries. Yeah. From a little yeah. collab, well, not a little collab, from a big collab from three companies in different industries, the same kind of similar niches. Sure. Wow. That's so cool. That's amazing. Definitely, because you should have asked for royalties for everybody who used your idea after all. <laughs> Unfortunately, when you work for agencies, uh, anything that you do, they own. <laughs> oh, 
Well, at least there the agency could have asked for that. Yeah, you're out there. They're they're paying your clients are paying you fees, and they pay you to to do that work. So that's you know, and they pay you for your your brain power. Well, that brain power should be appreciated regardless of like where that works goes on. Oh, yeah. right? and, and look, those are the types of things that are really fun to work on when uh, True. You know, that's what keeps work exciting is when you get to work on projects like that. Who inspires you or what inspires you? Uh, wow. That's a, that's a tough question. Um, I mean, I guess... Maybe it sounds cheesy, but I guess my family inspires me. You know, that's why I go out and I do what I do every day um, in terms of, uh, you know, trying to set a good example. Um, I think that that would probably be my answer. Um, you know, that's that's the reason I, I get up in the morning. I do what I do. I, you know, put my head and heart into everything and, and give it 110%. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> Probably that's one of the best answers I've received. A lot of people quote like celebrities or something else. It's like my family. It's like, oh. No, I'm definitely not. I'm definitely not a, 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 a stargazer, if you will. That doesn't, that Ooh. doesn't inspire me. <laughs> that's a nice way to put it. Never heard that before. Stargazer, huh? Okay. I, I probably have a, a, a different term for it, but that probably wouldn't be appropriate for the podcast. <laughs> no, that's a great term. I'm stealing that. <laughs> no Tell me what's your favorite book or what is the book that inspired you? <laughs> um, Back on the inspiration train. Or like that helped you a lot. I would say the book that helped me a lot was um, Jack Welch's book called winning. And it was about his time at, uh, as a CEO at GE. Um, I think there's just really good lessons in that book for anyone working in, um, in business, uh, in corporate America or not in corporate America. Um, you know, he just, it was a, um, kind of pursuit of excellence. Um, I think there was an element of, uh, you know, certainly as a CEO of a company that big, you have to make tough choices. Um, and, and so, um, and I think that's, that's true in any business, whether it's, um, you know, big corporate America or a small entrepreneur, you have to make tough choices. Um, you know, there's sort of, you know, there's no such thing as being half pregnant sometimes, you know, you, you, you either do it or you don't. Right? And so, uh, I think he, he, talks a lot about making tough choices. Um, and, and, you know, I think the other thing is oftentimes people think, you know, if you're a CEO or you're a leader of a team or you're a manager, um, I, I think the trap that a lot of people fall into is thinking that they have to know everything. And I think that one of the things that was really interesting um, in hearing a CEO as successful as Jack Welch was talking about being in meetings with his leaders of different business units and basically saying, look, I knew I was the dumbest guy in the room, but my job was to ask the smartest guy in the question, you know, in the room, the right questions. So, you know, being comfortable with not being as knowledgeable as other people 
but still creating value. Um, and I think that's a, it's a really important lesson. I, I think it's a, look, it's a really hard lesson for young people often to learn. It's a hard lesson for veterans sometimes to learn. I think, um, I think everybody thinks if I'm in a meeting, I think, and I do believe this, if you're in a meeting, you definitely need to contribute, but how you contribute can be very different. Sometimes you're not contributing with knowledge. Sometimes you're contributing with the right questions. Um, maybe seeing things from a different perspective. So it doesn't mean you have to be the the smartest guy in the room. With all the answers, yeah. And, and, and having some some confidence to walk into a room like that. So I, I just think there were a lot of really good lessons in that book. Um, uh, you know, I, and actually, I, I read it at a time uh, that was really powerful for me. I was in I was in Mexico and literally had a, a real problem with a client, had a situation that was, um, let's just say, not a good situation, right? Some mistakes had been made on the business. Um, there was a lot of uh, work that we needed to do to uncover what had actually happened. Um, and, you know, at the time it was all consuming and I would say it was, uh, you know, code red in terms of the client relationship, the agency relationship, et cetera. And I, I just remember in that book, and I had been reading it at the time, he talked about whenever you're in the middle of a crisis, right? The, the hard thing to do when you're in the middle of a crisis is to kind of remove yourself from it and, and, and kind of take a step back and have a little bit of perspective. And one of the things that he said was whenever he was in a crisis, you know, one of the things couple of lessons. One, assume it's going to get worse before it gets better. Because whenever you find out about a problem, you only usually found out about part of the problem. And as you start di digging, it usually gets worse. Um, but, but the other piece of it was um, also imagining yourself three to four weeks out, right? Because mm -hmm. when you're so all consuming, um, you're so focused on it, and it mentally probably physically is wearing you down but if you can take a step back and go okay let me think about a month from now how is this problem going to be viewed where are we going to be in the situation if you can do that it helps you calm yourself down i think it helps you make better decisions um think about things more rationally not get so emotional and get caught up in the in the crisis at the moment and um like i say i was i was kind of going through something like that at the time uh, and I remember reading the book and it, it was, it was nice for me to be able to, to kind of step back and have some of that advice and feel like, okay, this is really timely for me. Um, and it, and it helped. So I think it's, it's one of the best business books out there. Um, even though it's probably, it's quite old and it's about, you know, his time as a CEO, which now I think is probably over 20 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. I think that will be a book that, um, has a lot of staying power and will be relevant for, for many, many years to come for all leaders. Yeah. It, yeah, of course, especially nowadays, like there is, I feel like, especially this year, it's so strange that lately, like I think in this year or something, but I feel like so many people are going through so many different like changes, pivots, struggles. Like it's, it's just like, 
a chaos of a year. So I feel like this book would be of a great help to everybody. And it's interesting how you would find, like how resources would come to you when you most need them or like a friend or like an advisor. The timing was the timing. This, so strange, right? This business is, I mean, hey, you know, I happen to be going back to the first thing that we were talking about in this campaign, you know, I happened to be around some guys who, you know, two of them had, I'd met probably three, four months before. Um, but had I had not met, you know, Nick and Celine, um, you know, we probably wouldn't have been able to pull off, you know, all of the, the, the locations that we had in that campaign. Um, and so, yeah, they, they kind of came into my life at the right time. You know, I was reading a book at the right time. That, that's life, right? Timing is, uh, you've heard the saying, timing is everything. And uh, I think that's, that's really true. Um, and sometimes, you know, things uh, work out for you. They drop in your lap at the right time. And, and, and that's always nice. What do you think is it? Is it the luck or is it the coincidence or is it serendipity? What is it? Uh, I, 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 you know, um, I do believe that people that work hard um, tend to be more lucky, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like you create your own luck. Um, and, you know, I think you do that by, you know, uh, being good at what you do. I think you do that by, um, you know, networking. Um, I think you do that by understanding that, you know, um, different people bring um, different value uh, to situations um, and to, you know, life in general. Um, You know, I I always kind of kind of talk about uh, early on in my career when I was going out and hiring people, I was really bad at it Uh, and partially because I was trying to hire people just like me. Um, and you know, uh, as you get older and you become wiser, you understand that, um, you know, diversity of thought, um, different perspectives, uh, is what really helps you to be and, and create, uh, amazing work, uh, and to, to be, you know, great as a team, uh, you know, kind of say to people, soccer team wouldn't be very good if it had, you know, 11 goalkeepers on the field, right? <laughs> you have to understand that, yeah. hey, you know, you, you've got to have diversity of skills, diversity of thought. Um, but early on, I think that's a tough lesson for a lot of people to learn. Um, they want to go out and they want to hire people who are like them because they, know, best how, friends. Yeah. they know how to motivate them. They know how yeah. they work. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the easiest um, way, um, and to be a manager, you know, but down the road and over the long term, um, I don't think it's, uh, it's, it's completely, uh, the best approach. So long way to answer your question. I think that, uh, you know, I think people create their own luck. They create their own luck by, um, you know, being knowledgeable, surrounding themselves with good people, um, and, and, you know, being passionate about what they do, paying attention to the details, all of that stuff. Uh, those are the people that quote unquote tend to get lucky. <laughs> Ooh, that's interesting. So basically movement with an asterisk of attention to detail, exposure and diversity slash variety of your connections. Yeah. I think I, you know, you. 
it can be a, a really successful formula. Yes. Yeah. The recipe for a lucky life. Yes. I like that. Well, thank you for sharing your stories. It was so much fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you.